we are back with another episode of Underrated. I'm Lefty. And I'm Bo. You know, there's a there's a lot going on these days, Bo. I know, I love it. Yeah, yeah. You know, I'd love to spend some time chatting about the uh, the MLB playoffs or the recent disaster of the, uh, you know, international break for the U.S. women's national team. Mm-hmm. Or literally anything else. I think we've got we've to start off with, uh, you know, underrated podcast recurring character, Dan Snyder. Oh gosh, Dan <laughs> Snyder. Always always good for a uh, a good story. Have you seen anything about him lately? Oh yeah. You I saw the news today. Yeah, yeah. So Snyder, owner of NFL's Washington Commanders, allegedly is keeping up on uh, other owners in part oh. uh, you know. Oh yeah. It's called it's called it's called sabotage. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Allegedly <laughs> He is, has paid a team of private investigators to look into NFL Commissioner Roger Goodell <sighs> and other owners in the NFL to uh, uh, acquire some dirt on them to to keep his position. Oh, I know. Is, so, is, so team officials deny this claim, but <laughs> sources say that Snyder has claimed to have quote dirt on other owners that keep him in a safe position, saying the league quote can't fuck with him. <laughs> <laughs> Oh my God! You know, yes. so, it, 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 go ahead. Yeah, so so at least theoretically, there appears to be some legitimacy to this, you know, right? Yeah, uh, Goodell exactly. has repeatedly predicted Snyder brushing off reports of like the toxicity of the Washington workplace, <laughs> uh, congressional investigations, and even most recently a DEA investigation, sweeping them all under the rug, uh, kind of mm-hmm. allowing him to main his uh, remain and maintain his tyrannical and uh, just asinine reign. <laughs> Man. Uh, what, do, what are your thoughts about this uh, new Dan Snyder news? <laughs> <laughs> I think my favorite quote that I read from Dan Snyder is that uh, he said the NFL is a mafia. <laughs> he said all the owners hate each other. And then another uh, anonymous veteran owner was quoted as saying, that's not true. All the owners hate Dan. <laughs> I, I saw that. I, I had that written down to <laughs> Yeah. Well, Well, you know, I think you and I would both agree. Like, I love this. I want to see this thing freaking implode, you know, because I want to know what dirt is out there. And I want to know how. I want to see the real Roger Goodell come out, right? Like, I want to see this get real nasty. And I just want to see these guys, and out of desperation to, you know, keep this clean image. Um, what, what great lengths they'll go to, but I, you know, I don't really know. It's so hard to say like Dan Snyder is the, the biggest bullshit artist and, you know, one of the biggest in the, yeah. in, in sports, but, uh, you know, it's not hard for me to believe that he's got, uh, really a bunch of dirt on these other owners. I, I, I yeah. would not be shocked. Right. So, uh, I yeah, want it to yeah. come out. I want this to happen. <laughs> So do you think uh, one of the links that the NFL will go to is just allowing Jerry Jones to die so that his great name can't be tarnished? Yeah. I, you know, I think it's just time. I, I think it's time that uh, we find out really what's going on behind the scenes here. And who would have thunk that it was going to, you know, it was going to be Dan Snyder who was going to be the whistleblower <laughs> of all people, but he's yeah. going to do it uh, because, you know, just like the rest of them, he's a— uh, He's a dirty bastard. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's kind of the opposite, right? You know, you always talk about the uh, the captain going down with the ship, going down with yeah. the crew. Uh, he's the captain who's taking the ship and the crew down with him. Uh, I mean, 
you know, not only was he doing this in-house, you know, um, I mean, this is like all, all, all the statements that we heard during this investigation into him, you know, it really is, is true, obviously. I mean, like, you know, uh, you can see that there's a, a fear of, you know, reprisal, you know, within yeah, the franchise yeah. already, within the staff, all this. And now it's like, well, you back, he's backed into a corner. So to cover himself, he's going to go to great lengths. And, you know, if I'm, if I'm the other owners, I'm freaking out because I, I yeah. know this guy's got something on me. <laughs> Absolutely. Although I, I can't imagine that it's worse than anything that's on him. It, oh, uh, you know, like, it's like you just said, if I'm going down, you're coming with me. So, yeah, yeah. like, I'm burning the house down. Let's go. Well, know? one thing that, that stood out to me in that article was how much, uh, allegedly, apparently, Jerry Jones has protected Snyder in the past. And apparently sure. he's fallen out of favor with him. Um, what a, what a, what weird bedfellows. Right. I mean, is that like, is that how this started? Like he just got on Jerry's bad side and he's just like, you know, the, the crazy old man. And he's like, nah, saying this is not happening. I, I wouldn't be surprised to, you know, for whatever reason, Roger Goodell's a, he's one of those Jerry Jones fanboys, you know, in his own right. But, uh, yeah, yeah. I think everybody's in a state of paranoia. Because, you know, things are happening around the world in sports right now that really haven't ever happened. People are being held accountable for their actions, and I think everyone's in a state of paranoia. I don't even think half of these owners even remember things that they've done in the past and who they are. So, I mean, uh, whether it was via text or email, something's happening. And you probably got stuff behind the scenes. I mean, you probably got a a John Gruden out there who's still PO'd. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. You know, that he got um, taken down. And so he's he's willing to help, you know. I, <laughs> it, it'll be interesting, all the uh, all the key uh, pieces that we find out. You know, yeah, well, it's or, an interesting time, right, as the, the NFL is, you know, geared towards expansion. Um, yeah. I believe they just kind of talked about uh, moving some games to Germany next season um, and possibly yeah. even adding franchises, uh, maybe a whole division in Europe between Germany and uh, the U.K. Yeah. So, um, the, the reincarnation of NFL Europe. <laughs> it, it seems like an odd move, but that's, a, again, is a, a conversation for, for a different day. For sure, uh, for sure. But, uh, yeah, some interesting Dan Snyder news. Be, be <laughs> something to follow. Um, oh, yeah. Un- we'll keep our eyes on it for sure. Um, as much as we don't want to. <laughs> we <laughs> right. certainly will. God. Uh, yeah, so, so jumping uh, the other side of the spectrum, uh, it's... Uh, Almost NCAA basketball season. Media days are right. happening now. Um, there's an article today in The Athletic that discussed uh, ACC Commissioner Jim Phillips um, in, in a press conference yesterday calling to expand the NCAA tournament. Uh, mm-hmm. While he claims he wants to protect mid-major automatic qualifying bids, uh, this is clearly a ploy to allow way more mediocre Power 5 schools into the big dance. Sure. How do you feel about his... his uh, suggestion and and kind of comments that all power five uh you know uh commissioners have have made basically to to change the dance into into something that is is basically every 500 team and in every big conference gets a a shot you know i think um i i think from their point of view you know they try to market this as a as as giving the tournament a makeover right like this is going to be 
this is going to be fresh blood for the makeover, but it also sort of takes away from, you know, uh, I, I think that excitement that is in, you know, for me in general, March Madness is probably the most fun sports uh, yeah, yeah. event of the year for me. You know, I don't think really anything can match that, you know, in my opinion, but, um, uh, you know, we talked about in earlier episodes the expansion of the SEC and, and, and the Power Five. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and, and it being really just like, what, a Power Two or Three now? Yeah, basically. You know, on the NCAA football side. Now we're look, we're talking men's basketball now. Like, I, I don't, you know, extending this out even further to, what, almost 100 teams and, and schools involved? Yeah. I mean, that just seems crazy to me i don't know yeah well it kind of it kind of waters down uh how meaningful it is to the mid-majors you know right um you know as you know i attended a mid-major who has a a a storied history in the ncaa tournament they had a few uh you know cinderella upsets and that's a super meaningful thing to a school that uh really doesn't focus much of its its budget on athletics um you know and allowing another 30 teams from across the, you know, shit conferences, like the shit teams of the biggest conferences, the the 500, sure. uh, I don't even know who finished 500 last year, but but it's just not necessary. And it, and it kind of belittles that accomplishment for all of the teams that, you know, lost three games their entire season in the, you know, whatever league. The, the Yeah, yeah. And it's like, you know, I mean, there there's so much more to this, too. It's like, you know, how, how do you how do you approach this tournament now with so many teams? You know, I've yeah, heard different yeah. things like, oh, we want to see th- all, all conference champions. They get a first round by while, you know, the other yeah. 64 at large teams play in the first round. And, and whatever the case is, you know, I'm, all the logistical stuff they can figure out. But I, I just think, you know, I agree with you. I think it just takes away. Yeah, so yeah. much from the actual tournament and you know you and i are usually not the ones to say it's time for something to change yeah yeah <laughs> like you know we're absolutely not those people um yeah. there's always room for improvement and yeah. you know a modernization but you know i think this is structured pretty well yeah it's it's obviously um there's there's probably a, a good path forward if they do want to expand right i mean yeah what is you know, doubling the size of the field is one more game for, you know, one more round. Right. And, and that could be done, but I don't think the way to do it is the way that it will happen. If it does happen, obviously it's going to be something that, you know, basically half the Big Ten and half the ACC and one more school in the SEC <laughs> yeah, gets, a, exactly. gets a bid. But but at the same time, you know, I, I feel like it could feasibly done, be done in a in a more thoughtful way, maybe even second place teams and in all all conferences that have an automatic qualifier right so all the right. majors they all get one more school so right 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 but you i don't think I, that I, would happen because they don't care about those schools it's not <laughs> about it, it's about you know increasing the bottom line for for those big conferences and another round of games for another five schools out of the acc you know yeah it's another yeah absolutely you know i just don't want there dollars. to right and you know you don't want there to be you don't want to take away from uh, how meaningful it is to still like, you know, win a championship, right? Yeah. Like, yeah. I mean, that should still matter. And yeah. you know, if you're gonna, if there's just so much access, uh, you know, obviously, you know, 
the approach changes. It just has to, like yeah. we, we've always yeah. got a chance. Right. So yeah. Um, it's going to be interesting to see if this conversation continues. I mean, there's a lot of people who are for it. Obviously there's a lot of purists we'll call them who are against it. Um, you know, of course, Jim Beheim has come out and said, I was talking about this 30 years ago, you know? <laughs> so we'll we'll see how this plays out. Yeah, it, it'll be an interesting thing to follow. Um, and like I said, I think that uh, it'd just be a real disappointment for a lot of a lot of the mid-major schools, right? Um, definitely. To, to definitely have that agree. accomplishment watered down um, when there's no real tangible increase in benefits for them, right? I mean, I, Right, exactly. You know, in, in my conference, the only way to the tournament was to win the conference tournament a, a team could literally lose three games all season you know get go yeah. 25 and three but if they lose totally. that one game at the end they're not in the tournament despite being you know pretty deserving um and i don't think that the schools like that would be the ones that reap the rewards from this so yeah, right. definitely something yeah. worth following yeah i couldn't agree more with that but uh let's, let's jump into some underrated athletes you got somebody you want to talk about today bo yeah Lefty, you know, we're we're on the verge of the NBA regular season. So I thought no better way to start than to talk about a former NBA star. Um, a powerhouse, arguably part of one of the most iconic NBA duos of all time. And who could probably be considered the first true power dunker of all time. Okay. So he's, he's actually a local uh, to you in a couple ways, Lefty. So today we're going to talk about uh, Elkhart, Indiana native, and current Seattle business owner, Sean Kemp. Let's do it. Yeah, so if you were an NBA fan in the early to mid-90s, there's there's no way you could ignore how insane of an athlete Sean Kemp was. Now, when you think of NBA players that came straight out of high school, you think of Kobe, LeBron, Kevin Garnett, guys of that caliber. Well, Sean Kemp, in theory, you know, did this before them. And, you know, use that to his advantage and made an immediate impact. Um, although he, he did commit to the University of Kentucky right out of college, he failed to score the minimum of 700 on the, uh, on the SAT and was el- ineligible to play his freshman year. So he attended, but crazy enough, never set foot on the court. You know, uh, while he was there, he had some legal issues, unfortunately. He was actually accused of pawning a couple gold chains that belonged to his teammate, Sean Sutton, which, more importantly, was also the coach's son at the time. Oh. So uh, he did choose to leave the team following that on his own accord and transferred to Trinity Valley Community College in Texas, where wherever the hell that is. Uh, kudos to you folks. You made it on this uh, amazing <laughs> podcast. But uh, It's in Texas. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> He had a he had one semester. Also, did not play. Didn't set foot uh, on a basketball court at any point. So, you know, after taking the scenic route of uh, going and attempting to go to college, he finally declared himself eligible for the 1989 NBA draft, where the Seattle SuperSonics took him in the first round. So, in his first NBA season, teammate Xavier McDaniel took Kemp under his wing, and as the season progressed, so did his abilities. You know, in his second season, he was part of a unit that included Gary Payton, Eddie Johnson, Ricky Pierce, Nate McMillan. Now, if you think about the 90s, you immediately think of the Michael Jordan, Scottie Pippen-led Bulls. But if you ask most NBA fans at that time and experts, there were only two other duos 
and teams and franchises that could match those Bulls. And that was Carl Malone, John Stockton, and the Utah Jazz, and Gary Payton, Sean Kemp, and the Seattle Supersonics. You know, from 1989 to 1997, Kemp's career went from being a highlight film dunker on ESPN to one of the most popular and productive athletes in the league. He was known for dunking over massive players like Hakeem Olajuwon. I mean, that made for, you know, great poster material on a lot of bedroom walls, Lefty. You know, so in 1994, Kemp played for the U.S. national team. He won a gold medal. In, in 95 to 96, his career reached a pinnacle. Not only did he and Peyton lead the team to a franchise record 64 wins, they made their first NBA Finals appearance since 1979, the Seattle Sonics. And they took on Michael Jordan and the Chicago Bulls. Now, most importantly in the finals for Kemp, he posted per game averages of 23.3 points on 55% shooting from the field, 10 rebounds and two blocks through the NBA Finals. They ended up losing in six games to Chicago, but even crazier, Kemp almost won the Finals MVP award. Had he won... He would have only been the second player in NBA history to win that award, um, being on the losing team. Wow! So, it's yeah. impressive, uh, impressive showing. I mean, that's how dominant he was. Um, playing against a team that was basically immortalized at that time. So, you know, Kemp was finally traded to the Cavaliers after the '96 '97 season, but that was after once again leading his team to a 50-plus win season. You know, unfortunately, and it sounds crazy, but this is where a lot of the notoriety began. You know, he struggled with weight issues in his first season with the Cavaliers, and his hunger for the game seemed to be in question all the time. But despite this, he posted career-high numbers in some categories and helped lead the Cavs to the playoffs. So, you know, in the lockout-shortened 98-99 season, he reportedly showed up to camp when nearly 300 pounds you know Cleveland's then GM Wayne Embry claimed he was actually 315 pounds other sources say at some point he got up to nearly 400 pounds who really knows but still over three years Kemp averaged nearly 21 points per game and 9.2 rebounds for the Cavaliers so he was traded to the Portland Trailblazers after the 99-2000 season and his, his play just started to decline significantly. The last few years of Kemp's professional basketball career were riddled with problems stemming from his weight, as well as drug and alcohol abuse. His, his first season in Portland ended early when he entered drug rehab. Uh, you know, prior to the 02-03 season, he, he was waived by, by, by the Trailblazers and signed with the Orlando Magic and really just saw a quiet end to his career. Now, over the next few years, he tried to make several comebacks in the NBA, but nothing ever came to fruition. You know, he struggled with the drugs and the alcohol and the legal issues. And just shockingly enough, at age 39, he did make a comeback. He, he appeared in three preseason games in the Italian League, and he looked to be in outstanding shape and had made quite the turnaround. But, you know, let's take an overall look at Kemp. He accumulated 15,000 points and 9,000 rebounds, six all-star trips. 
You know, he, he made an NBA Finals appearance like we talked about. He almost won an MB, you know, Finals MVP award, and he was playing on the losing team. He's considered probably one of the greatest dunkers of all time. You know, at the end of his career, he averaged 20.9 points, 10.4 rebounds, two blocks per game. You know, the Supersonics had the NBA's third best record during Kemp's eight years with the franchise behind only the Bulls and the Utah Jazz. He, he brought a type of power and flair that is more common in today's NBA, but was rarely seen during that time in league history. You know, like Giannis-style power yeah, yeah, and strength, yeah. obviously. But so much as this has been hampered by the last years of his career and his personal life. You know, I, I don't think the argument here is whether or not he should be in the Hall of Fame, Lefty. It, it, it's that for years this man struggled with addiction while still performing at an extremely high level somehow. You know, there are only a few people in the city of Seattle's basketball history. Gary Payton, Jack Sigma, don't forget, Sue Bird. That can be remembered like Sean Kemp can. You know, a few years ago, a poll came out showing his Hall of Fame probability was around 40%. Uh, and that's what, you know, the uh, experts had thought. But, you know, is he just a guy who is good for highlight reels but never really great? Or, or is this a case of basketball writers only wanting to talk about people that give them the, you know, the feels? You know, is Sean Kemp underrated? You know, I think that, uh, yeah, Sean Kemp is absolutely underrated. Um, I think that, uh, you know, he was definitely, you know, one of one of the best athletes in Supersonics history. Um, and, you know, during the, the height of his career when he made those six straight All-Star games, um, you know, he was one of the best players in the league. He, uh, right. you know, wasn't the most flashy scorer. Obviously, he had, you know, the highlight reel dunks, but he never put up insane numbers. Um, yeah. But uh, one thing I wanted to talk about is I think he's a truly underrated rebounder. Um, he's pretty prolific there. Definitely. I think he's just behind, uh, you know, Hall of Famer David Robertson in all-time. Uh, Absolutely. All-time rebounds. So so definitely someone who, who, who had, you know, flashes of... of you know, you really great stuff. And, and right. you know, talking about his his struggles with both weight and and addiction, it kind of harkens back to a you know another Indiana Mister Basketball. I guess Kemp was runner up, but you know another recent Indiana Mister Basketball. Uh, you know, Caleb Swanigan, who uh-huh. you know we can we can see on the other end of the spectrum, a player who you know was was pretty similar in play style and drive and motivation but sure. just wasn't able to overcome those same demons. Um, right. So, you know, when it comes to Kemp, like, definitely an, an underrated player, and a player that should be celebrated not just for, you know, being a phenomenal player, but also, uh, you know, working through those struggles and, and, you know, really coming out on top. Definitely. Definitely. I think, you know, the conversation that's always had about Sean Kemp is he's, he's one of the best Seattle Supersonics ever, but it's never, uh, you know, he has a place in – you know, in the books, he's, he's in with the, the, the elite names, you know, but what we do on the show is we talk about what a player gives to the game, maybe in on and off the court. In this case, um, he electrified the game. No one was doing as far as power goes, what he was doing at that time. I mean, he was extremely gifted and you talked about rebounds 
what's understated about Sean Kemp always in every conversation is that he had an all-around great game. I, I think there's a lot of confusion there where people say, well, you know, he's very limited in his abilities. This man came out of high school looking like a Greek god. He was a bona fide, pure athlete, and he was able to dominate on the court. And, um, you know, even if you look back and you take a look, some people consider, like I said, a team like the, the, the Chicago Bulls to be flawless in so many ways. To watch a man like that in the NBA Finals still be able to dominate when he got the ball, it's incredible. It's, it's a feat that you, you don't often see, right? And it's okay to say, you know, he was able to compete at a level like Carl Malone and, you know, uh, uh, you know his counterparts uh, like that. But, again, his name is always kind of left off the list. And I, I think for – I think he – later on in life, I think, you know, his legacy, um, the, it, it's become a bit tarnished because of how the media, you know – works yeah. with information like that yeah, right absolutely. yeah we've seen this so so often where 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 people are human beings you know the the long and short of it is this is that you know he struggled he had an issue um he tried to help himself i mean now he's 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 made his comeback and he's recovered yeah. and he's doing well and uh you know like i said uh for the game at that time Sean Kemp was just an electric player, and uh, he he was someone to to always watch, right? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And and one thing that I also found interesting is just how uh, productive he was from the free throw line. When you think about big men like him, uh, oh yeah, you know, getting getting hacked, and that was the era of the the hackish hack, right? Um, For sure. You know, he was actually good at shooting free throws. You know, definitely. He, he actually definitely. he actually finished his career with twelve more points from the line than other. Supersonics, Hall of Famer, Jack Sigma that you mentioned. Right, exactly. So, exactly. Yeah, 64th all-time in NBA history when it comes to points from the line. So, I mean, pretty productive there. Um, you know, and productive, like you said, around all around the game. Obviously, some things stand out more. I think his rebounding is something that's highly underrated. Um, and I think, again, we've talked about this a lot. You know, I think a lot of the athletes we cover are players that... Um, would be way more successful in other eras. Um, I think at that time, he kind of straddled um, the size gap, right? I mean, we sure. talked about it with Rashid Wallace. Um, right, right. You know, players that, that aren't call. that, that seven, seven foot mark um, that get kind of sandwiched into the center role or, you know, play a power forward role that, that almost more mimics the center role in right. that era just... Uh, just kind of struggled from production because they weren't uh they weren't they weren't able to be utilized in in a way that they would be now yeah absolutely absolutely man yeah no couldn't couldn't agree more you know uh like i said um part of a an nba duo that was pretty legendary i mean you you had gary payton who was just an absolute menace out there all the time uh just you know one of the league's biggest all-time trash talkers and annoyances uh outstanding player you know and then you had him on the other side as just you know just up just a hammer i mean he was just a you know a a true power right but uh no absolutely i'd like to see sean camp included in a lot of these conversations you know i'm not sure if uh you know he'll 
uh, obviously, you know, how it'll turn out for him. But, uh, you know, there's so many great players out there. Uh, but as far as recognition goes, I, I think he kind of falls on the back burner for, for, for a lot of folks in, in, in these discussions. So, uh, yeah, you know. Absolutely. Absolutely. Definitely. Well, we both agree that underrated. Uh, Sean Cap is underrated. Absolutely. We're going to take a quick break, and we'll be right back with a, another potentially underrated athlete. And we are back. So, Bo, I know that you're not very active on Twitter. Yeah, but that's a fact, if, right? If you had been paying attention to my personal page this week, you might have got a good idea who I'm going to be talking about today after I no, posted no. about a surprise pair of NFL draft picks by the same team in the year 2000. Wow. That year, the Oakland Raiders used their first and fifth round picks on two specialists who would go on mm-hmm. to be one of the best kicking and puntery, punting batteries in NFL history in Shane Leckler and Sebastian Janikowski. Yes. Today, I'd like to talk about one of those picks. Punter Shane Leckler. Shane Leckler. All right, let's do it. Yeah, we all know that punters and kickers get no love. Um, right. And many consider Shane Leckler to be one of the greatest, if not the greatest of all time. But I think Leckler deserves a bit of a deeper dive. So we're currently in a bit of a punting renaissance. Uh, there are more, you know, training camps, online courses, and general philosophy changes um, that are, like, undergoing this rapid leap forward in the last few years when it comes to punting. You know, yeah. colleges now take punters in every recruiting cycle. Uh, players from Australia currently are dominating, like, the Big Ten right now. Every team has some Australian punter who can kick it 90 yards. Mm-hmm. Um, That's right. And some schools even have specific punters for specific situations, like a long kicker and then another specialist punter who, you know, just, you know, boots short punts out at the one-yard line. Right. But before all of that, Shane Leckler broke the mold and figured out how to be a successful punter that the league had never seen before all on his own. Right. You know, he was a quarterback, punter, and place kicker in high school, um, and then attended Texas A&M. Uh, from 1996 to 1999. Oh, yeah. Des- despite kicking off, handling long field goals, and even acting as the Aggies' emergency QB, Leckler immediately made a name for himself as a punter. After his 1996 freshman season, he earned freshman All-American honors on the heels of a 42.7-yard punting average. As a sophomore, he increased that average to 47 yards per punt, breaking the Texas A&M record. <laughs> to contextualize, that 47-yard average basically would have put a middle of the pack in the 2021 NFL. So at 19 years old in college in 1997, he was already kicking at a 2021 NFL level. <laughs> that's pretty, that, that's, that's called uh, innovation right there. He exactly. was an innovator. <laughs> yeah, exactly. That season he was named an All-American and was named to the All-Conference team. And all set in college, he was named to three All-American teams, his uh, sophomore, junior, and senior season, and was all Big Ten or all Big 12, sorry, for those final three years in college as well. Mm-hmm. And in 2000, the Oakland Raiders drafted Leckler in the fifth round, notably being the only punter drafted that year and getting drafted ahead of Tom Brady as a punter in the fifth round. Wow. It, it, it's just remarkable that, that the Oakland Raiders drafted a kicker in the first round in Janikowski and a punter in the fifth round <laughs> right, um, exactly. in Leckler. And that they both turned out to be phenomenal picks, like... Oh, it was, abs- it yeah. was the it was the least Raiders like picks they could have made, and that they were both successful. 
Maybe I think Al Davis was asleep that day. <laughs> Had he to be. Just, yeah, he was, he was just dreaming of uh, right of. Uh, Right on the flip side, it's a very Al Davis thing to do to just uh, do something bizarre like this. But, you know, for it to work out, that's, you know, different. Yeah, Yeah, he was asleep that day dreaming of Jamarcus Russell. (laughs) Exactly. So, you know, once in the NFL in 2000, he immediately dazzled. That season, he only he bunted 65 times for nearly 3000 yards. and was named a first team all pro as a rookie. The following season, he cracked that 3000 yard mark, ticked up his average yards per punt was named to his first Pro Bowl. After a down season in 2002, Leckler came back in 2003 with a vengeance. He led the league with over, over 4,500 yards of punting and a punting average of 46.9 yards and had the longest punt in the NFL that season of 73 yards, again yeah. being named first-team All-Pro. Crazy. That 2003 season started a run that would see him lead the league in yards three times, be selected to four Pro Bowls, be named to four All-Pro teams, and lead the league in punting average five times in seven years. Wow. That level of dominance from the punting position was absolutely unheard of and far surpassed anything accomplished by the other former legendary Oakland Raiders punter, Ray Guy. Ray Guy. So all told, in Oakland, he played 13 seasons, punted for 48,000 yards with a 47.5-yard average. During his Raiders stint, he was named to nine All-Pro teams and seven Pro Bowls. Those accolades would be impressive for any position, but right. are just truly unheard of for a punter. Yeah. Longevity hey, doesn't jive with that position. Punters don't last in the league for 13 years. But Leckler went on to play another five more seasons in Houston, mm-hmm. punting for 20,000 more yards, raising his career average, punting longer in the, in the twilight of his career than he did earlier. <laughs> <laughs> um, and in his last season, at the age of 41, Shane led the league with 4,500 yards and averaged 49 yards per kick. Crazy. Crazy. So, at the time of his retirement in 2017, and to this day, Leckler ranks first all-time in the NFL punting average, second in career punts, and second in punt yards, as well as being fifth all-time in punts blocked, only allowing five blocked punts in 17 years. Wow. Yeah, like one every three years. Exactly. That's crazy. So, so according to Pro Football Reference, the, the, the Pro Football Reference Hall of Fame monitor, Leckler is the best punter of all time, having Definitely. a score, having a score yeah. 20% higher than the next highest punter, Ray Guy. And, you know, with all of those accolades, it's pretty hard to think that Leckler is underrated, right? Right? But I'm not so sure. You know, punters, no. punters get very little respect. And they right. get even less respect when they play on absolutely horrible teams like the Correct. Oakland Raiders and the Houston Texans. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Agreed. So in, in 17 years over his career, Leckler only played in 10 playoff games and only made one Super Bowl, and that was a loss in 2003. That's right. That lack of national recognition plus playing on, you know, playing his best seasons on the West Coast really kept Leckler out of the mind of most NFL fans. Um, just a few weeks back, Leckler was named a nominee for the Hall of Fame. Mm-hmm. Um, but despite being truly and unambiguously the greatest punter of all time, it seems increasingly unlikely that Leckler will get inducted to the Hall of Fame this time round. After all, it took Ray Guy, the other punter in Canton, the only mm-hmm. punter in Canton, only 20, 23 years after his initial eligibility to get inducted. 
And that came on the back of three Super Bowl rings. Yeah. You know, specialists are rarely considered in the same tier as, you know, position players, non-specialist. Right. You know, Leckler has an uphill battle. But again, is unambiguously the best punter ever to play in the NFL. That's right. With more accolades than I could list in one breath and an unclear road to the Hall of Fame. Do you think Shane Leckler is underrated? Well, you know what, Lefty? I love this pick. Um, Shane Leckler, in my in my mind, is first ballot Hall of Famer, um, without a doubt. I think that in itself, um, you know, I understand that uh, it's very hard for the voters to to take a look at a punter and say, oh yeah, you know, um, but his his numbers exceed Ray Guy, and I think when you're in a situation like that, you know, what's the play? Um, I absolutely think that because he was a special teams, uh, uh, you know, player, he was underappreciated, you know, for for a lot of reasons. Now, I want to say this: Shane Leckler's six foot two, 240 pounds. This guy was the size of a linebacker. Okay. Like, um, very agile and not, not to mention, I mean, he, he kicked more than 1400 punts in his career. I mean, he didn't retire to the age of 42, I believe it was right. Yeah. Yeah. Um, you know, I think looking at accolades, yeah. Seven time pro bowler, six time first team all pro, um, things like that. You know, he's on the a couple all-decade teams, um, that punt record is absurd. You know, his, his NFL career record of 47.6 average yards per punt. That is just mind-blowing. And, you know, the last time I checked, when you're good at something and you're really good and you're the all-time greatest, you know, you should feel that respect. But I, I just don't think um, he's really ever gotten that. I think after a while people came accustomed to it and it was just something that they expected. Right. Yeah. Um, with Ray, you know, it's funny, obviously a former Raider, uh, you know, Ray guy, obviously, I mean, we talked about the numbers, uh, you know, he exceeds that. I think that, you know, Shane Leckler put it at a time where we didn't have any, um, you know, technology really on the field, you know, yeah. for the yeah. most part. I mean, um, there was no film study for him to avoid being, uh, you know, blocked in return for a, for a, for a touchdown on a yeah, regular basis yeah. was pretty outstanding. You know, um, yeah. yeah, I think uh, I absolutely believe, you know, special teams. I mean, guys, we I think we had uh, Devin Hester recently with the Chicago Bears, yeah. one of the all-time yeah. greatest kick returners. Still, you know. Um, not not really appreciated in yeah, what yeah. in what he there's, did there's, right there's been a similar conversation about you know i think he became eligible for the hall of fame last year i believe it was mm-hmm. maybe two years ago and again, right. again um those specialist uh specialist traits aren't, aren't something that uh that many people acknowledge especially hall of fame voters absolutely but really think about it too why is this so important why is the position so important well you know field position is constantly of importance right he played you know on a team that you know obviously had jerry rice and tim brown and rich gannon and guys like that but putting them in position to be successful was a constant the role that he played was just as important you know so you know if you look back at it again 
again the Raiders what a crazy year right to have two you know um, special teams players of that caliber in Janikowski yeah, yeah. and Leckler I mean I, I don't know how you could be so lucky but overall um, from college until he retired I think that um, it isn't the flashy position it isn't you know um, it, it isn't something that people strive to do yeah, uh, yeah. you know what they want to become players but um, he was a multi-tooled athlete like you had mentioned the versatility he could play quarterback I mean hell I mean in his prep career we talked about it, he threw for 5,000 yards right and he was punting you know and uh, you know as a teenager he's punting nearly 90 yards this is you know I I absolutely believe that Shane Leckler is is underrated and uh, man I just uh, I hope they don't play this game of waiting as long to to give this man you know a gold jacket uh, that's that would be a sad story honestly yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah, and you know it, it's likely that in the near future, his his accomplishments will be you know overwritten. Somebody will pass him because right. so much effort is being put into special teams now by coaches and players. Um, and and I Definitely. think that 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 with that adjustment, um, maybe we'll see more recognition of those players um, of so. those special teams players. And and like you said. Um, I think that the, I mean, he didn't play in the dark ages, right? I mean, there was still film study and stuff. Sure. Um, but there wasn't the internet right? earlier in his career in the same way that we know it today. There, there's, you know, no young kids were, were looking up Shane Leckler highlights on YouTube in 2006. Right, exactly, exactly. Um, and I think that might hurt him too, you know? Right. Not, not having that kind of brand exposure. Um, but, but like I said, I think he'll probably get... Uh, get surpassed at some point in the next decade or two um and i don't think he'll probably be upset about that because the game has changed and he helped promote that change absolutely um absolutely but yeah definitely somebody that i i agree is underrated um 100 like un- unambiguously the best punter ever to play um, exactly and and one ask that, anyone uh, ask yeah. anyone pat mcafee guys like that um yeah. they'll talk to you know other kick other punters and you know special teams players will tell you this is the greatest punter of all time. And uh, it's pretty crazy that they still have to make a case for it. Yeah, yeah. And, and just, just thinking about the evolution, right, since, since Ray Guy was inducted, since, since he played, you know, it's become a science. It's, it's become about the, you know, the, the quick release, the, oh, yeah. the, the adjustment of, you know, sure. hips and everything. You know, I, I was just uh, doing some quick math here. We'd both mentioned his his only five blocked punts in seventeen years. Right, two, two of those came in his first two seasons. So, from two thousand and two until he retired in twenty seventeen, mm-hmm. he had a punt blocked once every four hundred and thirty five attempts. <laughs> which is just um, wow, just insane. Um, it is. It is. It's, it, it's, it's crazy. And it's just, you know, it had me thinking about how the the last Raider, I believe, to be inducted to the Hall of Fame was Charles Woodson last year. Mm-hmm. You have to think that, uh, you know, Shane Leckler giving the defense m- m- a more more lucrative field position, um, mm-hmm. you know, pending the other team back, probably definitely helped Charles Woodson, you know, with with his career numbers. When you think oh, about sure. how much overlap yeah. they had, when you when you put that much pressure on an opposing quarterback, um, 
they're bound to make more mistakes. Um, right. And and I don't know I don't know if there are actually numbers to back this up, but I would assume that uh, Shane Leckler's punting definitely contributed to a, a a sizable chunk of Charles Woodson's production. Absolutely. You know, a hundred percent. I mean, we, you know, not to go too deep into it, but just to compare to another, you know, Devin Hester, we were talking about. You know, how many times did Rex Grossman and guys like Kyle Orton, you know, benefit yeah. from Devin Hester's field position because these were not elite quarterbacks, right? Yeah, yeah. These were teams that well, I needed mean, to have an opportunity and get and put points on the board. He absolutely helped carry them to that Super Bowl. I mean, no, one hundred percent. You know, and exactly. You know, um, it's just one of those situations under appreciation for 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 an awesome athlete absolutely so we agree um shane leckler underrated oh um, yeah but we've got a we've got a lot of current events too happening right we're in the uh in the mlb playoffs yeah man what about those mlb playoffs well, uh, some some surprises right Jeez. yeah we've, i mean we just had one game rained out today um yeah but you know both nl series are are, are tied game apiece the uh yep. the astros just pulled off another comeback because of course they did Jordan Alvarez. It's it's what pretty wild, man. <laughs> <laughs> it's pretty wild, uh, you know, living in Seattle, seeing so many folks talk about how how unexpected that comeback was the other day, as if like three days prior they also right. didn't <laughs> score eight runs in an inning in the exactly. most improbable exactly. and unlikely uh, comeback of all time. Right, um, exactly. Do you have a you have any predictions from where we're at? Um. You know, I we we talked about it um, on the last episode, I believe. I think we're both, um, you know, but I, I don't see the Mariners coming back um, from this. Uh, I mean, they may take a game here or so, but I, I think Houston's got this one, obviously. Yeah. Um, I I gotta say, I think Cleveland is has a chance to surprise some folks here. Yeah. I, I, I do. I feel like, you know, they might just shake this up a little bit. On the NL side, though, um, you know, as, 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 as much as people would like it to happen, um, I, I still think, you know, the Braves are going to come out. But, uh, you know, um, man, Dodgers and Dodgers and Houston. <laughs> I just yeah, I don't yeah. see it going any other way, really. You know, I know that's the boring pick, but, uh, you know, um, I, I just think that's going to happen, you know. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, I would, I would like. I really do think that the the Phillies have a chance here. Um, I really think Cleveland has a chance, but I don't want them to win out of out of principle, not because they're like <laughs> a, a rival of the White Sox or right, um, right. you know, an, an AL Central foe, but because right. giving success to teams that lose on purpose is bad yeah. for baseball right it's you it's, know it's bad it's, for the game it's bad for the sport and i don't want to see it happen right especially for cleveland you know who has been in a situation to win so many times and have purposely put themselves in a position to start all over again from scratch you know um and then have been bad and just wanted to get worse um like you said definitely um you know i'm surprised by the phillies I really am. Like I, I know the talent was there, but it's, I gotta applaud that team for just the comeback that they've made. You know, the second half of the season, after getting rid of probably the future coach of the White Sox, 
you know, uh, <laughs> just, you know, seeing that team just oh. really turn around was pretty, pretty outstanding, man. And, uh, you know, like we've talked about and say whatever you want, but, uh, there's a lot of internal drama there. I mean, I mean, you're pretty familiar with Alex Bohm's, you know, comments, you know, early, you know, before the season started, I don't know if you remember that, but he, he, he talked about how he hated Philadelphia. Like, well, just, I, re- I remember earlier, um, was there a game where he made a couple of errors and he was seen on field mouthing? Definitely. Mouthing definitely. Some, some, some bad talk about how much he exactly, exactly, exactly. He just was not happy and to, you know, be able to turn it around, um, you know, has been, has been good. And obviously seeing Bryce, Bryce Harper, you know, obviously. Yeah. Yeah. So that was my next question actually. Right. You know, he won MVP last year. Um, Mm -hmm. he won a, uh, a world series, 2018 yeah. with the Nationals. Yeah. If he leads this Phillies team even just to another World Series, um, right? How much do you think that cements his legacy? I think it. Uh, I think it cements his legacy. I mean, I think as it stands right now, he's a Hall of Famer. I'll be honest. I think. Um, yeah. I mean, he, he's definitely phenomenal and has has he's on that trajectory. Um, right. But I still think he's he's wildly underappreciated across the league. Um, yeah, I, I think both you and I agree. That's just a lot of old hatred. You know, I think that's a lot of BS. I think yeah. there's a lot of things that people just want to hate about Bryce Harper and yeah, yeah. ignore the sheer talent of this of this guy. Just, yeah. you know, like you said, a principle based on principle, right? I don't want to like him. But, uh, no, what he brings to a team is, um, you know, is so meaningful. You can't really put, um, you know can't really put your finger on it other than saying hey listen you know it's energy it's statistics and it's just you know he's a great all-around player I'm, I'm i'm glad to see that he's you know recurringly you know in, in some sort of race and actually playing you know it's not going in vain like yeah uh, yeah you know we've seen some other great players yeah it's remarkable um he's not even 30 yet he'll turn 30 uh just in a couple of days but uh man we, we could see another 10 years of this right yeah like, absolutely um <laughs> And uh, you know, I think a lot of the a lot of the hate directed towards him. I think people forget how young he is, right? He had right. all of this hate strewn his way, basically from the time he was drafted when he was oh. seventeen. You know, he it's was immediate. he was he was so hyped up, um, you know, even before he was drafted at fifteen, sixteen, um, right? And then getting drafted at seventeen, like you gotta gotta feel a little sympathy for him. I feel like oh, a lot of his actions yeah. uh, came as a result of being a literal child. But also, you know, when you're raised in that environment, right? His formative you're, 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 years have up as, in front as of as a, a professional. Yeah, right. You're you're growing up, and you're going to have growing pains, right? You know, yeah. it should. It, everyone, you're right. It's a great point. You have to remember that we're we're talking about a, you know, a teenager. So I mean, yeah. and and a young man, and we're all going to make mistakes, and yeah. and things happen. And um, but I, again, you've got so many people out there who just didn't like the way he played the game. You know, and it, it, it's just you're always going to have that out there. You know, it's just like yeah, yeah. I don't like he how, he's too emotional. He's too this. He's too that. Yeah. It's like just get over it. You know, these are the same people who, who didn't want to. Uh, yeah, they don't want anyone to show any emotion out there. Yeah, so, yeah, you know, that's a lot that, of that. That reminds me pivoting to another player that uh, that, uh, you know, has had some opinions about how other people play the game. How do you feel about uh, Josh Donaldson not running out of home run getting thrown out? Right. Uh, is, that the, is that an all-time 
2022 postseason moment for you. Right, exactly. God, he just needs to go away, man. Yeah. Like, statistically, what is the value that he brings anymore to, to anything? I mean, he had a few awesome seasons. And, I mean, he, 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 you he know, put up the same value as Bryce Harper this year. <laughs> really? Yeah, mostly because, you know, Bryce Harper uh, has been hurt all year, right? But uh, still, Bryce Bryce Harper had to hit miss seven weeks, and uh, yeah. But uh, I don't know. I mean, it's just like, yeah, yeah. Talk uh, about know, a guy uh, that 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 going into you know when he was Bryce when he was Bryce Harper's age, he looked like right. he was another player that could have been on that Hall of Fame trajectory. But uh, you know, yeah, injuries and not hustling, racism. Not oh, hustling. okay, <laughs> not hustling. Um, you know, one one other current event I wanted to talk to you about. I know you're a you're a pretty big hockey fan. Uh, yeah, yeah. It's the it's the start of the NHL season. Some some teams have already mm-hmm. played a game. The rest will oh, yeah. play soon. Do you have any predictions for this season? Anything you're looking forward to? Um, obviously, I'm I'm looking forward to uh, you know the uh, the St. Louis Blues competing at a higher level. Um, you know, I I think that uh, you know there's a couple teams that are are going to you know really really just. Uh, make things pretty tough you know the Dallas Stars again you know um obviously uh they had some some breakout athletes in in last year's Stanley Cup playoffs um so I I I think uh I think uh you know they're really going to make things a little tough um the Avalanche are going to be in it as they are and and have been you know here and there but yeah uh, do you think they have a chance to repeat um, I think um, I think they have a chance. Yeah, I do. Um, I think it'll be a little bit more difficult this time around. Um, I think a team that uh, has always been kind of on the, the verge of just trying to give over the hump is a team like the New York Islanders. I feel like they've kind of fluctuated. They've taken a step back. They've taken a, you know, a step forward, another two steps back. Uh, I feel like they're on the verge of trying to get over that hump there too. But, uh, you know, one team I um, – I can't take away from is uh, I think you know the the Tampa Bay Lightning. The Tampa Bay Lightning are 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 going to be uh, you know still dominant. So yeah, I'm uh, I'm looking forward to it. Um, I didn't keep up with the NHL hot stove as much as I would have liked to, but uh, it, it's great to have hockey back. I will say yeah, that. Yeah. You know you are, are you uh, are are you going to be a a Kraken fan now that uh, you've relocated? Um, you know, I'm still reeling over the, the loss of the, uh, the California Golden Seals. So yeah. maybe when I come out of mourning for that franchise, <laughs> um, you know, I, you know that I'm not a huge NHL fan, but over the right, years I right. have, I've had, a, I've developed affinities for a couple of squads. I, I loved watching the, the, the twins of Vancouver. I thought that that sure. was a, that was a fun era. Um, and more recently I got into watching the, the Minnesota Wild. So right. I think I'm going to, I might go to a Kraken game this year, but I'm going to stick with the Wild. I think they, they've got an outside shot at a Stanley Cup. I think that, yeah. uh, you know, I don't watch enough hockey to um, confidently pronounce names, but I think that uh, Karprazov, is that his name? Uh-huh, yep. Yeah, I think that, uh, I think that he uh, is a bona fide star and uh, could be the best player in the NHL this year. Definitely. And I he mean, could, he could lead them to the promised land. Absolutely. I think, uh, you know, taking a look at, uh, you know, the upcoming season, obviously, 
the Avalanche are the favorites to repeat. You know, Carolina Hurricanes are up there. Um, you know, they're they're uh, they're being picked to be pretty competitive like, again with the Lightning. You know, Edmonton, Florida. I think um, you know a big name in hockey now every year is, is Connor McDavid, right? Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, just to see what he's going to be able to do watching him out there just an electric player uh you know but we, we also have some big names that have made moves you know a guy like matthew kachuk you know who's with the panthers now um just to see what kind of impact he has on that organization and you know uh, again i think that um even a team like uh, the rangers the new york rangers that have, have come a long way i think um you know again it's, it's pretty exciting it, it's sort of a free-for-all and uh you know, I don't want to make too many strong predi- uh, predictions, but uh, yeah, I think um, I would love to. Uh, I would love to see the uh, St. Louis Blues and uh, the uh, Carolina Hurricanes in the uh, the Stanley Cup. You know, yeah, that would uh, that'd be an exciting ship. Yeah, I would. I would love to see it, man. So, you know, uh, I'll I'll go ahead and say that. Uh, you know, uh, as of today. Those are those are my two two picks uh, for the Stanley Cup as we start the season, but uh, we'll see how it plays out. I'll write those down. Definitely. Now, one last question for you. I'm going to put you on the spot. Um, you can also just uh, not answer it if you don't know. But as you know, or might not know, the NWSL playoffs start this weekend. Mm-hmm. We got two games happening on Sunday. Um, okay. The, the quarterfinals, Houston Dasher mm-hmm. taking on Kansas City. San Diego Wave are playing the Chicago Red Stars. Do you have any predictions? Oh, my gosh. <laughs> That's a tough one, man. <laughs> you, you well, how about we say this? What are your predictions? How about that? Um, you know, I think that Houston Dash and Kansas City is going to be a tough matchup. Um, mm-hmm. I think it's it's pretty even at the moment, um, but I think Kansas City edges. Um, yeah. I also think the Red Stars come out on top. Despite just sneaking into the playoffs and, you know, San Diego having a shot at, uh, you know, finishing first overall before uh, kind of fumbling the bag in the last game. Uh, they, they're, they've got a thin squad right now. They're missing uh, Alex Morgan and Taylor Korniak. So um, sure. I'm going with, going with the Red Stars. So All right. There, for this there first round. So, there you have it, folks. So do some research, you, and I'll ask you the same question next week. <laughs> you got it. I'll be ready this time. There you go. All right. That's all we've got for today. Um, again, you can you can listen to this episode and every episode on Spotify, Apple Podcast, or wherever podcasts can be found. You can follow us on YouTube at Underrated Podcast. Uh, you can follow us on Twitter at Underrated Pod. That's at under underscore rated underscore pod. And you can follow us uh, now on TikTok at Underrated Pod, where we have TikTok. A, a booming following, apparently. Yeah, it's, the young, uh, it's awesome. The, the, all the young folks. That's right. <laughs> All the young <laughs> folks are out there. Thanks, thanks for uh, thanks for tuning in. Yeah, and be sure to check out the Patreon too. Patreon.com/slash/underratedpod. Until next time. Until next time. Mm-hmm.